Aloha. Turn your Bibles with me to the Old Testament of Nehemiah. And as you turn there, there is one word that really defines the season of my rhythm of life, and it's the word exhaustation. I can't even say it right, so I'm going to change the word and say tired. How's that? <laughs> All right. I'm tired, right? And you say, what are you tired of? You had a long three-month break. Man, let me tell you what I'm tired of. I'm tired of social media. I'm tired of the climate we're in today. I'm tired of this coronavirus thing. I'm tired about everybody think they're a scholar and theologian out there. Only me, right? Right on. <laughs> I'm tired, right? Right? Of every single thing that, that frustrates me. And then in the midst of this season, as I spent time with the Lord this week, right, I find rest in the book of Nehemiah. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're doing your time with your family. I find rest in the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah presents a big theme that we all can celebrate. And we've been saying it for the last few weeks, right? It's this theme that God is what? In control. Say that with me. God is in control. God is in control of the chaos in this world today. God is in control with all the, the different statistics of what's going on with COVID and the unbalance of the statistics, right? God is in control in their prejudice and the impartiality that we are facing as a nation. Man, God is even in control of what we're dealing with as Hawaiians and Kanaka Maole and living in a made-up country today. Like, he's in control, right? God is in control. If there's anything we've learned in this series in the last few weeks is the reality truth of Nehemiah, that God will do what he needs to do, help me out, to fix our eyes on him. How many of you that ministered to you for the last few weeks, right? Let's read it again, out loud, together. One, two, three. God will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. And historically speaking, when it comes to the activity of God, here was a historical truth that we hold fast to the last few weeks. It's all on the screen. It says, any great movement throughout history has always began with a movement of prayer. Many of you know that in 1820, something significant happened in Hawaii. A couple things. Number one, the king, uh, Liholio, Kamehameha II, in influence of his stepmother, Kahumanu, banned kapu system because the kapu system actually uh, oppressed a lot of the women specifically and children. Majority of the population of native Hawaiian children were killed alive because of the restraints of the couple system. This is not me just blurring out uh, what I share. We have books and history that says this. And so the second king saw that this oppressed his people. The population, when the first missionaries came to Hawaii in 1820, was half the population it was 25 years before they arrived. Because of diseases, because of the kapu system, because of darkness and evilness. We know this by our own great, uh, our own first Christian, Kanaka Maoli, Henry Opuka'aia, in his memoirs, in what he penned himself, said that the great king killed all, everyone if they didn't abide by his system, right? 
And thank God that we live more in a Republican system, a Democrat system where we have a democracy where we're going, whether it's hidden or you don't believe that you're American or not, whatever the case is, we stand by a, a government that allows us to say whatever we want. Many, no more amens here. You know why no more amens this morning? Because you're not in Iran with our brothers and sisters who can't say whatever they want. You, me, can freely say what we want to say whenever, however. But if you were with our brothers and sisters in the nation of Iran and Afghanistan, your head will be chopped off. I speak from truth. Let the media showcase that Christians in the Middle East are being killed because of the cause of Christ. And here we are comfortable in AC room. Does that not break your heart today? There are people tortured for Christ. And as we're going to enjoy our lunch today, and maybe our second lunch for some of us Hawaiians, going to get a witness, right? We have brothers and sisters that will experience the sword and the gun today for their name being built on Jesus himself alone. Like that should break your heart. That should frustrate you. Like that should make your na'au and your pu'uvai heavy this morning. Because there's people not experiencing the freedom. I believe, and this is just my conviction, that the freedom we have in this American context is not a freedom that you think is free. This freedom is manipulated. This freedom is, listen to me, is shady, as us Hawaiian people say, right? This baga is shady. It's not what you think. It's not a freedom that is built on the sacrifice of blood. I'm going to tell you this. It's deeper than that. It's a lie. It's a fallacy. It will corrupt you. It will corrupt your family. And it will corrupt the generations to come. If we don't come to the reality as followers of the Lord through Jesus Christ, that our freedom alone, as Galatians 5.1 says, is in Jesus. In Jesus. Why? Because philosophies and, listen, uh, laws will always change. Hello? Laws are changing by the moment in our society. But the law of God never changed. The Bible is true today, yesterday, and forever. We don't just come to church saying, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all power. We're going to live like sin when we leave the building. No, that is not freedom. The freedom we have is dead to sin and alive to God. That's the sin we're talking about. That's the life we're talking about. That's the freedom we talked about. Though freedom was free for you, it cost God the Father everything, his precious son. For God loved you and me. God loved the world. God loved the old world. God loved the new world. God loved the world to come. That in his son, his sacrifice on the cross for you and for me, for your babies, for the generations to come, they will have life and life everlasting. For whoever believes in the name of the Lord shall be, help me out, save. That's the truth. That's the gospel we preach. Till the day we die, we don't preach an American gospel of freedom. We preach a freedom that is through Jesus alone. That encourages me today. When I'm frustrated, right, when, when, when I'm pressed and shaken 
and torn in my na'al of the society at hand. I trust in that God will do what he has to do to fix my, my eyes on him. And it begins with prayer. We're continuing through the series of Nehemiah since chapter 2 of the results of prayer. Today is a part three series on what this prayer means. And if you have your, your, your word, right, I want you to stand with me in the beautiful reading of Nehemiah. And what we're going to do, we're just going to read chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, and verse 20. And I want us to expound on these verses and let us see the hope we have in this season of COVID-19 in the Lord himself. Now when Sanballat heard what were what heard that we were building the wall he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews meaning he taunted them he bullied them and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria this is the bad guys this is the evil guys listen up what are these feeble Jews doing in other words what is God's feeble people doing will they restore it for themselves Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on, on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are uh, despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. What a prayer, Jeremiah. You guys hear what's going on? Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to what? Anger in the presence of the what? Builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to what? For the people have a mind to? God created us to work, man. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. Can I get a hallelujah out there, right? They were very what? Angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. What did they do? They prayed. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is falling. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to build the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or seal till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us the ten times, you must return to us. Let me stop right there. All right? Your evilness will always be towed upon. I want you to read that. Everybody's heva, your sin in this room, will be exposed. These buggers talking like it's 1999 up in here. Like, we're going to come, we're going to destroy God's people. What they're not knowing, they vala out way too much and get people around them, listening to them, that belong to God's people. Moving forward. 
And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from direction and said to us, ten times you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, say those four words with me, one, two, three, four, do not be afraid. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, no be afraid. That's the little pigeon version, okay? It goes on, right? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now skip down to verse 20. May this bring peace among our people today. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Here we go. You guys ready? For our God will fight for us. Say it again. One, two, three. Our God will fight for Now say it like you mean it, Hawaiians. One, two, three. Our God will fight for us. Say pulekako. God, we love your word. We love everything about it because it's your literal birth, uh, breath, your ha, that speaks to us today. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we say, Amen. You may be seated. If you did not know the title to our message today, in continuation of the result of prayer, the result of prayer is this, that our God will fight for us. Listen to me. I don't know where you are in your walk in life, but I want you to know this, all right? If you feel oppressed, if you feel depressed, if you feel beaten up, remember this. Remember this one truth. If you get anything else, get this one truth today, Hines. Your God fights for you. I'm reminded by the words of Jesus where he says, I am with you. I will never leave you. And thirdly, I will never forsake you. I'm reminded by the Lord Jesus when he says that. I'm comforted that he fights for us today. And as we wrap up our prayer series on the results of prayer, here's two ways God fights for us. Number one, our God will use evil to draw us to prayer. Let me say that again. Our God will use evil to draw us to prayer. I want you to be very clear that the work of ministry is not to do church. The work of ministry is to pray. Let me say that again because this may be new for some of us in this room. The work of ministry is not to do stuff for God. The work of ministry since the beginning of time has always been to go to God in prayer. And what God is using in our text, he's using the evilness of two thugs named Sambalot and Tobiah to express this evilness to push them to a dependency on God through prayer. Let me be real with you guys, right? The reality is when God blesses us, right, there will always be those who aren't happy with that. Amen? When God blesses us, right, there will always be those who aren't happy about our blessing. And that's what's going on for the last 70 years. The Jerusalem was being tormented and beaten up by these outsiders because Babylon took Nehemiah, or the whole Israel clan, and put them in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran today, which they still have issues today, right? And what's happening is God's bringing them back home. 
God's bringing back them home. And they got home in Jerusalem, and they see the welfare of the city is horrible. In fact, the people who came back before Nehemiah left the city because the city had no walls. It was burned down to the ground. Therefore, they moved out in the outer skirts where they could protect themselves and where they could not be seen. But God told Nehemiah and a few fleet of Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, and know this, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. Wherever you are in your life, God is fighting for you. And he does so by using evil as a means to draw you to dependency on him. That's what prayer does. Prayer makes us dependent on him. You like seeing this church pray? No, for real. You like seeing this church pray? Let Iran come into Hawaii today. Let them bring their guns. Let them bring their religion. Let them bring all of that. Let them persecute those who belong to God, Jesus Christ, in this room. You're going to pray. But why don't we pray? Because we're comfortable. That's the curse of the American dream. We can do whatever we want, whatever we want, say whatever we do, how whatever, because that is the curse of our freedom. But let's twist that around. If we're going to make boasts of anything, let's boast in the name of the Lord. Let's make much the name of the Lord. And let me be very clear. This blessing that God's people is experiencing is not your blessing of your being healthier or wealthier. That's been the whole thing about that's what they think God wants for them, to be healthier and to be wealthier. The problem is if you read all through Scripture, the Savior himself wasn't a rich man. And the Savior himself was crucified on the cross. That's your perspective of the true gospel. The blessing goes much deeper than this, right? In fact, look at how Moses explains this blessing. Number 6, 24. I say this at every wedding I've performed. In verse 24, God speaking to his people through Moses. And he says this, the Lord bless you and the Lord what? Keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you what? Peace. I want you to see this very clear. Listen to me. It doesn't say in here that the Lord bless you with a Bentley. The Lord bless you with a big mansion. Right? Not even in the sky. Right here on earth. It doesn't say that. The Lord says, look, the Lord lift up your countenance upon you, his confidence upon you, and give you peace. Listen to me. The emphasis of this blessing is not your health and your wealth. The emphasis of this blessing is that you would have peace with God. Are you with me? So when somebody come up to me every time and say, oh, Kyle, I was blessed today. My sister wouldn't give me one car. I was blessed today. That's not blessings, right? That's just, human, just humans being nice. You know what is a blessing? That God in his sovereign grace will give you sinners peace with him. That's a blessing. Are you with me today? Or is this going over your head, right? That's the reality. I love it. How Paul states it in Ephesians chapter 1, moving hundreds of years later. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus Christ, the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. You ready? Here's the blessing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Look at all the 14 letters of Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. He greets all his church partners 
with this same blessing that Nehemiah is blessed with, that Moses and Israel is blessed with. And look, it's this, peace. It's a peace that passes all understandings, Philippians 4. It's a peace like a river, the old hymn. It's a peace like Jesus said in the Gospels, peace be still. This is the blessing. Your blessing is peace. Even when it's not going my way, like Nehemiah, right? I mean, they got conflict right now, right? The outside pagans are at their, at their face, taunting them. He has peace. His people has peace. Why? Because peace is rooted in their God who fights for them. So here's a biblical truth. Peace is not determined by our circumstances. But peace is determined by our gracious God. God is gracious. Therefore, our God will use even evil to draw us to prayer to remind us of this peace we have with him. I want you to see the narrative in this story today, right? You see the two thugs. They do not want this wall to be built. While Nehemiah is focused on justice and goodness for his people, these two thugs want to keep the city broken and vulnerable for outsiders to attack and humiliate them. This is why people attack you, saints of God. These are why people attack us, because we're blessed people. What? We're not blessed in what we have, right, the materialistic. We are blessed for who our God is. Our God is just. Our God is the creator. And as the creator, he has the authority to do what he wants. Therefore, what he wants is to fight on his people's behalf by giving you and me peace with him, by canceling the death penalty of sin on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, so that in Jesus we may have peace with God through his son. He can't get better than that, bro. That bugger is owner right there, right? God in his sovereign grace would give us peace. And in God's goodness, I want you to see this. Look at this. I want you to see this. In God's goodness, he uses this evil to draw Nehemiah and his people to pray. In fact, Nehemiah prays a specific prayer that is known as, write this down. It's not on your notes, but write this down. It's very important theologically. He does a prayer called an imprecatory prayer. All right? The word imprecatory in this mindset means that these are prayers that came all throughout the Old Testament, specifically in Psalms. And an imprecatory prayer is that Nehemiah is praying for God's judgment and justice to be on Sanballat and Tobiah and all the evildoers that is coming in opposition against the building of this wall. This is an imprecatory prayer. You may say, wow, Kao, but the New Testament says to love your enemies and to pray for them. Well, I want to give some balance in this, right? Dr. James Hamilton Jr. says this about imprecatory prayers, specifically what's going on right now with Nehemiah and Sanballat and Tobiah. He says God's justice to Sanballat and Tobiah would result in salvation or, but if they continue to be in unrepented sin, God's justice will result in their what? Damnation. So when... We are doing our imprecatory prayers. We're asking God this simple truth. Here's an application truth, right? May we pray for God's justice among this earth. If we look for man's justice, 
Man's justice will always isolate a people group. Black lives matter. All lives matter. White lives matter. Man, what about those brown people, the Hawaiians over there? You know what I'm saying? Like brown life, whatever the case is. Let me see. Let me show you what matters. You ready? God matters. Am I, are we for black lives? Hallelujah. Are we for our brown lives? Hallelujah. Are we for white lives? Hallelujah. And we can use historical analysis and say, for 400 years, our brothers and sisters who are black, African-American, have been oppressed. Well, let me tell you something, all right? Let's talk about the oppression of our Savior today. The God of the universe who spoke this earth into existence. The one who came to this earth to die for your heaven, your heaven, my heaven. He never need to do that, but he did that for you. Let's talk about that injustice today. Oh, well, you're... That's just Christianity. That's the, this is, listen to me. It's the only word we have. Listen to me. In verse 9, it says that they both prayed and they guarded the city by day and night. I believe this is what the New Testament meant by praying without ceasing. The scripture only makes our point true that God uses evil to draw us to prayer. Look in the text. They're praying at one moment, Right? But also they're ready for battle. You see what's going on? They're praying at one moment, and they're also getting ready for battle. They have a spear in one hand, right? And they got a fist ready to go to our God, right? They're ready to go on behalf of, the, of this city that God would shine his justice down upon his people. Lastly, and we'll be Pauhana. Number two, our God will use prayer to frustrate the plans of our enemies. Can I get a big chi-hoo up in this room, right? Ain't that the truth, right? That our God will use prayer to frustrate the plans of our... I'm laughing because I heard somebody chi-hoo in the back. The plans of our enemies. Look at the motif that takes place. Look at this incredible act that takes place in verse 15. Nehemiah said that God frustrated the plans of the jealous thugs. Amen? He frustrated. How did he frustrate it? Well, we read in the text. God leaked out their attack plan to the outside Jews. And those outside Jews, because they need like us Hawaiians, right? We can go follow and tell the inside Jews of the wall that, bro, they come in, they're going to kill you guys. And their response was like, we will trust our God. Do you trust your God today? Do you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior today? Not just your Savior, but he's your Lord. He's your master. He's every bit, every part of your day today. He outweighs every fad, every organization, any connection you are with in this world today. He supersedes them all. Because when, listen to me, when this all happened with Nehemiah, right, God's people, listen to me, God's people did not take a vacation, y'all. God's people in the text, they continue to do the Lord's work. Let, let me read the rest of it for you. You can look at your Bibles or look at your screen, right? Starting in verse 15, it says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had what? Frustrated their plan. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We all return to the wall, each to do his what? Work. From the day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half of held the spears, shields, bows, and coats 
of nail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Where were the leaders? In the battle. The leaders were saying, you go do your thing. I know the leaders were with the people leading by example. Good leadership principle right there. Verse 17. Who were building on the wall? Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with what? The other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside him. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great. And widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21. So we labored at work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be, guard, be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand side. Listen to me. Everybody's part is valuable in the kingdom of God. You have a portion in God's kingdom activity. You can't be sideliners. This is the one sport that everybody gets to play. There's no sideliners here. There's just no one huddle here and then a huddle there. No. Everybody gets to be a part of the kingdom of God. Well, God fights for you. Well, God fights for me. Well, God fights for us. God is demonstrating his goodness to us that we are laborers together to win the battle that he has already won by his name when he spoke us into existence. Hallelujah. That's the God of the universe. That's the God we serve, the God of Jacob, Isaac, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Isaiah, the God of Nehemiah, and the God we will know 2,000 years later, Jesus, the risen Savior. That is what we're talking about. And here's, here's, here's as we read, I wonder if we could examine our hearts today. I'm going to ask Brian to come up. I wonder if we could examine our hearts today through the lens of this story. I believe we should always question whether or not we're genuinely called by God. What is another word? Uh, let me dumb it down. I believe we should always question our salvation in this room today. We should always question, God, do I really belong to you? Not based on your efforts or your merit, but based on because our God fights for us. He redeems us. God... I know they call me Kao, but my name is Zeke. I'm, I'm a filthy sinner. I need to know, God, remind me. How do we know this? God assures us in his word, in our heart. So I want to examine some do's. And, and these do's is not really to, to make you feel belittled, but it, it really means to challenge you, right? To sharpen you. That's what I hope that you come on Sundays. Not to hear a self-help word, but a word that that convicts you and challenges you and not just make you better for the sake of being better but make you look more like Jesus every day here's four examining questions I want to ask you number one do you live for a cause greater than yourself the statistics is true that many of us in this room will not be remembered after the third generation from our life in fact doctor 
this doctor, this surgeon doctor, is my favorite quote. I quote it at the football team every year. It's the first quote I always share with them. He says, the greatest use of a life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Why? Because we will not be remembered three generations from now. Right? This word is over, what people believe, over 5,000 years old. And it has outlasted so many generations today. This is why I hold fast to it. We can go through historical artifacts, right, and grammatical research and find that God's word even started with the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's true, man. It's true. Uh, do you live for a cause greater than yourself? I guess this is why I coach football. I coach football because I was kicked off the football team my senior year of high school. And then 12 years later, I got to be a part of one of the greatest programs of all time. Not because of their state championships, but because I got to do what God called me to do, right? Fight for their souls. Secondly, do you lay your life down for those you love? Like, are you last? When you're eating on the table, any aspects, think about it. Be critical about this part. Be critical. That you lay your life down for those you love. And let's go even deeper. Let's make sure that those we love are also people that are like Sambalot and Tobiah. And listen to me. I'm, I'm not going to assume that everyone in this room is a Nehemiah in here or a people of Israel. I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume that this is my last day preaching. And before I go to heaven, I'm going to preach to sinners as if they're going straight to hell today. And that they would hear the clear message of Jesus. And by repenting of their sins and trusting in the Lord Jesus, they would inherit the kingdom of heaven with me. That's the way I'm going to preach every time I get up here. Right? Do you lay your life down for those you love? Number three. Is your eyes fixed on Jesus? The word Christ, if you're new to this whole church movement, the word Christ simply means Messiah. In other words, it translates the anointed one. There's a lot of so-called messiahs out there we had a couple i had one a couple weeks ago right right yeah and he couldn't even stop the simple things of of that went on this week but let, let me be very clear is your eyes fixed on christ i know we live in a time right now that's pretty shady our context and culture but don't try to fit don't try to fix injustice with more injustice Go to the Word of God. Keep your eyes on Christ. The Bible says He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. No one can come to the Father except through Him. This is Jesus, the King of kings. We're, we're unapologetic of the name of our God. His name is Christ Jesus. And I say it multiple times, His name is not Pele. His name is not Lono. His name is not Hiaka, Ku, Kanaloa, all these other names. His name is Jesus. Jesus, all right? If that burden is I want to be very clear. I grew up in this culture. I know it, all right? Further than that, he's not Siddhartha, who became Buddha. He's not the prophet Elijah Muhammad, or Muhammad, right? He's not Allah, okay? He's not Confucius, the Hindu God. He is Jesus. And if we base our religious view on the color of our skin, we will never see Jesus for, he, for what he truly is. And if we just look at melanin, 
the color, the tone, melanin, right? You're missing out on the greatest, darkest, deepest, richest color that we all share, the red blood that Jesus poured on Calvary for the remission of our sins so that in him we may be redeemed once and for all, for eternity. Number four, do you lead by example? Right? Do you lead by example? I'm a perfect, this is not for everyone. The reason why gatherings are becoming smaller, you can't look at mega churches, that is not the norm in America, okay? Like, like for our denomination, that's only like less than 2% out of the 100%, all right? The regular church is what you're looking at, right? Actually, a little bit smaller than this. It's 25, 30 people, the regular American Christian church. Listen to me. If you're going to lead by example, this is how you can lead by example. All right, lean into this. Go to church. Go to church. I think I heard two of the kupunas in our church this morning in the back say that they look forward to Sundays. Because here's the deal. Sundays is not an event, right? Sundays is not an event. Sundays is a time that the church, God's people, can experience God together. Because the reality is this, guys. Listen to me. The only reason we could continue strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we've genuinely experienced God. And listen to me. We genuinely experience God together as a family, in our brokenness, in our heaven. Bring them. You don't need putting yourself up to come to this. You can wear tank top. You can wear slippers. You can wear big shorts. Bro, we don't care. All right, we don't care. God don't care, that's why. All right, you don't even have your best. Right, that's why I stopped dressing up, me. Everybody think that Sunday is this special dress. So yeah, we're not of that context. We're not of that culture. We want people's hearts to look like Jesus, not their exterior. When their hearts look like Jesus, everything else will overflow. So I want you, I want to speak into this, right? How should we respond? We must continue to pray. We must continue to pray. Every week we send out a family worship guide through social media, right? And this is how I want you guys to pray this week with your family over your table. Pray for how you would serve in the next phase of the season at Ohana Church. There's two simple things we're asking you to pray for. Now, this is the do aspect. All right, we've been meeting for four weeks. You guys just been sitting on in your okole. Kahuzik's been doing all the work, all right? Now it's your turn. Hello? Hello? I talk to everyone out there. You video camera, whoever out there. I talk to all you lines. This is how you can be a part, the action step of Ohana Church. The first thing, in our next phase of reopening, we're going to open up the Keiki Ministry. All right, this will happen when our schools open up. As soon as our schools open up and they have uh, ch children's meeting in classrooms, um, we will follow that mode too. So that means, how can you be involved? We need teachers and we need helpers. Now there's specific qualification in both terms, but we need teachers and helpers to be a part of our Kiki. What about the next generation, amen? Secondly, I haven't talked to nobody. This is just something that just impressed out of my heart. I want to do a church-wide choir this whole fall to prepare for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Listen to me. Kahu Marcus, you ready? All members and regular attenders must be a part of this choir. All right? So all 70 to 100 of you, when we go out 
wherever, we sing in the mall, at Hope Depot, or we go around, we break off in groups. We're going to sing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that need the gospel. We're going to use melee. We're going to use song. We're going to use dance, right? There's about 120-something people on our roster that's called Ohana Church, our home. We're going to say all 125 of you started in August. We're going to meet once a month. When Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas come, we're going to sing the glory of Christ throughout Hilo and claim Hilo for Jesus. And we may not have the best singers, but we're going to have the biggest crowd out there shouting the name of Jesus, right? Two simple things for this fall. It's not that hard, <laughs> right? We need teachers. We need helpers for our keikis. Secondly, we just need a re big resounding sound of God's glory in this place, in the community of Christ, in our community. Started in Hilo. If you affirm those two action steps through prayer, give me a hearty amen.